Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When we talk about quitting smoking. When my first child was born, for them. Obviously money. We talk about why so much. Health for myself. My family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. I just You've already talked about why you want to quit. So let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1-800-201-203 and make the next stop your last stop. From the HSE. Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast. This is the Rugby 7 Six Nations special. Welcome all of you to our second effort at this, this thing we call Rugby 7, where we take a look at and have a good chat about seven things on a theme, and obviously this week it is all about the Six Nations. I am Lee, as you all very well know, and Josh is not with me right now because he's in California eating oranges or some shit, whatever you're doing in California. Yeah. So we're joined instead, all of you, by Wales's second choice in the answer to the question, can you define virility in two words? It's Mike Bubbins. Because second we all, choice? Well, he will be the first choice? choice. Tom Jones. Exactly. Oh, take so, yeah, Exactly. So while he's still around, but you must be heir apparent to it for when he... Because he's getting on a bit now, Tom, isn't he? I don't want to think well, about him shuffling he's, off. He's uh, 78, yeah, so I've got to be in with a chance soon. How has he not lost his voice? Do you know, he, he, he's a real scientist when it comes to his voice. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite boring about Tom Jones. Um, he looks wherever he goes. He takes a humidifier. I've heard that temperature, one. Yeah, certain yeah. Humidity. He looks after his voice with lozenges. He uses the same lozenges that Caruso used. All right. Yeah, well, true story. But yeah, it's one of the few people who gets to that age with a voice like that, and it doesn't lose it at all. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with the pod. You can get to me at Blood and Mud or on Lee at bloodandmud.com. How do people get in touch with you, Mike? Should they feel a need to, you know, they can ask me. more about Tom Jones's vocal regimen, things like Tom that? Tom Jones's, anything to do with Tom Jones, uh, at Mike Bubbins on Twitter. Um, there is a MikeBubbins.com. It's a really very good looking website a friend of mine made, which I update about every two years. So if you want to see where I was gigging in 2016, 
get on there mikebevins.com okie doke uh, we're on Acast and iTunes and all that we've got Patreon as well thank you for everybody who contributes to that if you want a bit of extra content and stuff like that and an ad free episodes every week you can go to patreon.com slash blood and mud and chuck a couple of dollars in there and support us and also get a few extra things but it's up to you before we get into the details of the, the Six Nations Rugby 7 we're going to firstly have as we always do to start with a player spotted where people send in some spottings of players you've seen out and about I'd like to thank new listener Ewan Miller who DMs he says I went to the gym in Edinburgh and I heard a gruff South African accent behind me I turned around to see the ginormous glistening frame of WP Nell Edinburgh prop after having taken his kids swimming He's a rather large individual, and I was not surprised when the staff brought out the makeshift no diving signs when he walked into the into the baths. You who's and also, this person, who's this personally? Get in touch. What's the name? The person who sent this in. Uh, it's Ewan Miller. Ewan. Ewan, spill the beans, man. We want to know how you know. What was he like with with the kit off? I can imagine it was quite. I re- he looks quite. He's he looks quite old school from a prop point of view. VP now. He's a bit bald. Doesn't look right. like he's too cut. No. no, that kind of sort of proper prop. I want to know, I want to know if he's packing or not. In the oh, dark <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, was he wearing budgies or was it no. boardies? Come on, we, do, we need to know. Because you can never tell, can you? I've played rugby with some very big lads who had very small penises and vice versa. You really can never tell, can you? Did you yeah. know that um, Claude Makaleli, what his nickname was when he was at Real Madrid? Uh, in Shy Private Eye? The, the Ebony Tripod. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Why is that there? Well, <laughs> I'll leave you to picture that as you travel to work. But anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I was the ivory bipod, if there's any question. <laughs> um, Ewan also asked me to give a shout-out to Costafine Cougars RFC in Scotland. That's a great name. So there you go. I've just done that. Um, do you, Your kids are of an age where you still... Do you still have to take your kids swimming? Yours are still quite young, aren't they, Mike? Take the kids, yeah. Football on a Saturday morning, swimming on a Saturday lunchtime, rugby Sunday, Sunday morning. I can't... I, when I used to find, I don't know if it's the same with you. You only take the kids swimming. Yeah. You go in the pool, you mess around for a bit, and then you look at the clock and you've been in there about four minutes and you're incredibly awesome. bored already. Well, yeah, they're usually hungover. I mean, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely Saturday horrific. Saturday morning and it's boiling hot. And they're in this little, they, they uh, swim in this private girls' school near us has got their pool, so the, the club's up there. They, they don't go to private girls' school. But it's tiny and it's just like a sauna and you're sat there. And the sound's bouncing off all the walls and stuff. <laughs> And I never take my shoes. You're supposed to take your shoes off. I can never be asked because I can't get them back on again. <laughs> I'm usually wearing cowboy boots and they're a real pain to get off. So I walk in there with the boots on. And then the other day I got rumbled by Gene, the old, the old dear who does the... Um, Gene's the old dear who does the swimming lessons. And um, I had mud all over my boots and I walked in with the mud. And she was, she was following the mud trail to get to which parent it was. <laughs> and I said to Kelly, distract her, distract her. So Kelly sort of made a noise and I darted out the fire exit. Well, that, that's how that's how real men deal with these things, isn't it, Mike? That's, yeah. that, that's yeah. the thing. Exactly, mate. Also, run away. I was asking this question the other day. I don't know when in swimming pools the um, two, four-inch deep pool of sort of bacteria water you had to walk through before you got yeah, to the actual pool that. disappeared. They all disappeared overnight. There was no referendum. There was no public no. consultation. They just weren't there anymore. No. I mean, that's when... What, what would you call that thing? Bath? A foot bath? I think, well, I don't think I ever got given a, so I don't know, yeah, a bacteria swamp. Like it's probably what I should have called bath, it. Wasn't it? So like yeah. a Veruca, like vex it, men vex it, didn't they? they? No, you don't, see, you don't see people in Veruca socks anymore either. When did they so, disappear? You could never buy those in pairs, could you? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you were particularly afflicted, it was discriminatory that you had to yeah, buy two, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, so it, 
That's that cover, isn't it? That's that cover. Thank you, Ewan. So moving on to the Rugby 7. We're, this is a reminder. We're going to cover seven things as best we can. Uh, this is not meant to be a definitive list. You know, it's just a, it's a conversation between us. There are other things I'm sure you'll think of. Thanks to all the lovely listeners who gave us your suggestions as well when I threw this out there last week. So let's move on to the Rugby 7. So let's talk about number one, which was England's foot and mouth year. Brilliant. Which was in 2001. Where were, were you in? Was this in part? Of, was this in your Canada period, Mike? Two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. I was in Calgary, but that was in the summer. I, I was around for the rugby season. I, I, I shot off there in sort of um, April time, so the end of the end of the rugby season here. I went to Canada, but I was here for that. I remember that quite vividly. So, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is that arguably, this was probably England, despite winning the World Cup in two thousand and three. It seems daft to say it, but arguably, two thousand and one into two thousand and two was England's peak. And this tournament in particular, mm. before foot and mouth rocked up, and we'll get on to that in a minute, was, um, well, I don't think it's ever been bettered, really. Just well, to give you points, some... Points machine, weren't they? They just couldn't stop scoring, yeah. 29 tries they Crazy. scored. The nearest to them was Ireland with 11 tries, a plus 149 points difference, and Ireland with the nearest to them with plus 40. They scored Crazy. 109 more points. I mean, it did involve a spanking of Italy, but they're still there to be spanked, aren't they? Nobody else yeah, did Yeah, exactly. Um, this is, it's interesting to look at what the, the England... I always like looking at England team lineups in this period because it's not that far away from 2003 when they won the World Cup. And if you look at it in one of the games, the, the 48-19 win in Paris... That was a hell of a win, that, wasn't it? It was ridiculous, yeah. You know, 29-point winning margin against the, against the French in Paris. I went to uh, Cardiff for the Wales game, which was painful if you were Welsh. It wasn't for me, but uh, with, with the absolute... <laughs> Stephen Jones was playing full back that game, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah. Will Greenwood scored a load of tries. It was. I do like Will Greenwood. He's one of those Englishmen that even as a Welshman, you have a sneaking. You know, you just wish he was. There's a certain Englishman throughout the years that you wish were Welsh. Mm. And, and Greenwood, Greenwood's one of them. Well, he's just incredibly talented, isn't he? That's he just seems like a really good bloke as well, though. He's getting you know a bit mean? frightening now on, on social media and stuff. He keeps videoing himself working out and like talking to the camera like he's stalking people. Which I'm sure he's not, but it just it just seems like. No. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. My mate actually knows him. My mate knows him from uh, amateur rugby and says he was actually sound and a bit of a yeah. a bit of a liability on the piss, which is always endearing. I love that. <laughs> it's like all the episodes about Will Carlin being, you know. I, told, I think I said I mentioned before Scott Gibbs said his biggest disappointment for the Lions was rooming with Will Carlin to find out what a top bloke he was. Now worse is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit worse than that. I've hated him for years. Even an English person, the doubt worse than that. But um. Oh. So yeah, so yeah, so Green, So the England team that day was Ian Bolshaw was at fullback, Class Austin player. Healy on the wing, twat. <laughs> Will Greenwood, brilliant. Mike Cat. Yeah, I, I got a great cat story. Go on. Ben Cohen, Johnny Wilkinson, Matt Dawson. Yes. Jason Leonard, Phil Definitely. Greening, Jason White. Yes. John O. Oh, amazing. Steve Borthwick, and great. then the the back row for the ages of Richard Richard O'Neill back in Lawrence Delalio. They've never had a team as good as that before or since, mate. That's a, that's that is the England. That's the best England team that I can remember easily. It's right up there, isn't it? Yeah. What's interesting is that half that team had gone by the time they won the World Cup in two thousand and three because um, Balshaw. Well, Jason Robinson was lurking on the bench for these games because he'd just been signed, and by the time the World Cup came round, he was playing. He was starting, understandably, because the back row was getting on by that point, wasn't it? It was well that had been fairly established, and and they, they they went through to two thousand and three, and then people started retiring. Richard Hill, I think, was nearly broken even then. Yeah, I think I think a couple of those boys sh- shouldn't have really been at that, that next World Cup, but there we go. 
And two thousand well, Balalio played in two thousand and seven when he basically talked his way into the squad through the media. Nothing which was in, so which was which is a completely different tournament altogether. Brian Ashton was backs coach in this. And this is this is why there was a huge clamour after Sir Clive Woodward went to have him, because your point about England, the best team England have ever had, it was certainly the best they'd ever played. They were irresistible oh, yeah. to watch playing. And it was a lot of it was put down to Brian Ashton's coaching of the backs. Which is why he, um They yeah. had a great platform with that pack as well, mate. That's the thing, and that. that's the Interestingly, by two thousand and three, they weren't actually we weren't actually playing that well, but we had it. But the trouble is, is that when you've got seven probably all timers in your team, you don't have to be playing that well no. to get over the and line. And also, you know what it's like at that level. It's like it's like it's like management in football. You know, at that, at that level, it's a lot about leadership on the field. You know, leadership counts for a lot. And if you got Martin Johnson on your side, mate, that is that's a two trust up. That's why you go anywhere. Yeah, and I said by 2003, Lucy came in, Robinson came in, Mike Tyndall came into the centres and Mike Cap moved to the bench because he wanted a bit more penetration, I suppose. Then the front row completely changed. Vickery, Thompson, Woodman all came in. And of course, Trevor Woodman had his career ended early because he was ended early, cut through injury. But yeah, it was just, I've never known such a level of confidence as an England fan and certainly not since. I mean, there's an argument to be made that England are the worst world champions that's ever existed. Because yeah, we immediately turned totally shit after 2003. I mean, we basically, the next tour we went on, we got battered, basically. And if you make that argument in Cardiff, mate, everyone will agree with you. <laughs> no one will argue with you. There's an argument to be made we were the worst world champions in football as well, because we qualified as holders for 1970, <laughs> then didn't qualify for two tournaments until 1982. It's a... You tell you not from the southeast. No, t- <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, so, that, so that, that's what... That is, and but it was all going incredibly well. But then, of course, what I haven't mentioned is the, is the foot and mouth thing. Oh, yeah, uh, this, is God, this is God stepping in, wasn't it? it? Well, yeah, you would say that. Yes, this is so good. He had a look down. Of, of, of all the things to happen, you know, there's no tsunami, there's no like earthquake. There's, it's it's a it's a cattle disease that doesn't actually do anybody any harm. You just can't have it spread into cattle. Put a massive kibosh on their Grand Slam. I loved it. I never so, forget that, dude. I was playing then for Cardiff Quins, and we had a game up at. Um, Herwin, up on the heads of the Valleys Road. Herwine. Herwine, yeah. But well, I say that, but Josh corrects me and says that everyone around there calls it Herwin, he they says, and he's from Aberdeer. Well. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so he's he's there. So we go he's up there. And I don't know if, before we went, we got changed. Before we went on the pitch, they made us walk through like a washing up bowl, which must have had disinfectants yeah. in it with our boots. I thought. But you know what, mate? That, that just reminded me, you're asking if I was in Canada. Like I said, at the end of that season, I went to Calgary to play. And obviously Calgary is, if you don't know, Alberta is where all the beef from Canada come from, right? This is one of the biggest beef producers in the world. Because, and because we were arriving from, from uh, the UK, when we got to Calgary Airport, all the, all the British Airways, all the flights in from the UK, you had to walk through like a 20-foot-long vinegar mat <laughs> at the airport. That smelled honestly. beautiful, didn't it? Yeah, and they tell you to check because I was going to play rugby. They, they made me take my boots out, check there was no mud, there was no grass, there was no nothing, you know, and then walk through this disinfectant mat before we got into the, that, into the country. I must say that does sound more thorough than walking through a washing up bowl full of disinfectant <laughs> at Hairwire, which is what we did. Because I thought this can't possibly be working, but, uh, but yeah, it's crazy. It? A mate was in the army that year, and he just said that they just were chucking boy. If, if you weren't on an t- active tour somewhere. You were basically setting fire to cows. Yeah, he said it was awful. <laughs> and he said you hear cows popping everywhere because they would get so full. These dead cows would be just full of gas. Just oh. cows back. But, you know, it was stinking, but 
it achieved the the aim of knocking England off a grand slam. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, so those of you who don't remember, the reason why foot and mouth had such a big problem is that nobody could travel to Ireland and Ireland wouldn't travel to the to Great Britain. Yeah. So basically, they didn't play their games in the normal artist shot. And, and all the island, I think there were three island fixtures left. They all had to be fulfilled in the October. So that's why. So England were absolutely pinballing, skittling, battering everybody. Yeah, then it was, was like, stop. And then we had to play again in, in Dublin on the 20th of October. <laughs> and you lost. And we lost. <laughs> the pisser was as well was that I couldn't watch the game because the normal season was back on and it wasn't an allotted game, allotted yeah. game day. Because in the Six Nations, you play games, well, the games are off. Yeah. And you used to play against like touring sides in the morning and stuff like that. Um, but we had to actually go and play. So, of course, I had to come from playing and walk into the clubhouse and suffer all the fucking wind up because I was playing in South Wales, which is particularly horrendous. And the thing is, and it was it was that time where for, for years, for like, yeah, three years, we just could not win the fucking Grand Slam. Oh, I know. We kept winning the tournament. That's the other thing people forget, don't they? We were winning the tournament, but we just got the piss took out of us mercilessly for not winning a Grand Slam, which in retrospect seems a little bit unfair. <laughs> well, then Wales won like three in about eight years, didn't they? Which was lovely. Yeah. It did look easier but, for you. But, sort of, but then Wales would go, would go like very mediocre to Grand Slam champions and then back to mediocre again. It was really strange. And we're going to talk about another tournament later on where they, had a, where they basically had a tournament where that happened in the space of about five games, not Grand Slam champions, but the, the form was. So, yeah, so Wales, well, while well, well, you've just mentioned Wales and while you're here, let's mention that in that... So, yeah, England lost lost the Grand Slam again, lost to Ireland. Everyone laughed. I didn't. I did. We went on to win the World Cup with a slightly different team. Sir Clive Woodward went, Brian Ashton took over, and he was the rugby yoda as attacking genius. And within about two years of him taking over, we had Jamie Noon and Leslie Vinacolo in our back line. And what was he thinking of? It's that, I mean, it's Even that like, being blinded by the numbers with Vinacolo. He scored so many tries yeah. and he was so big. People just thought, well, just get the ball in his hands and he'll be fine. But that doesn't... And, and it wasn't know, true. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> happen though, does it? In the real world, it doesn't happen. Otherwise, otherwise you'd have 15 massive players in the team and you'd win everything. But that doesn't... It never works like that. And you don't need... The fact is, is it in rugby league? I love rugby league. I played it. I think it's a fantastic game. I think it's full of brilliant rugby players. But you don't need as many footballing skills in league. And a lot of league fans will hate me for saying that. No, it's a much more... It's a, yeah. it's a core running, passing, tackling game. You don't it's a brilliant have to, game. The positioning isn't as important. Being able to no. kick isn't as important. Well, the positions don't mean as much today. If you're a prop in league, I mean, it probably means you're going to take the ball up on the first tackle and everything. But it, it, it's not like you haven't got a scrimmage. You, you, you haven't got you haven't got a lifting lineup. You haven't got to do the other stuff, you know. No, and you and your defensive position is completely different. So Van yeah. would often end up completely at sea in defence, yeah. and then just, just this big, this this giant lumbering thing trying to get back. Scored a few for Gloucester, but anyway, yeah. So anyway, Van was there. Wales had a, a mad 28-all draw in 2001 against Scotland. It was a funny oh, yeah, old tournament to finish there. Yeah, it was a strange one. And uh, what was the lineup for Wales at this point? It's always interesting to look at lineups. 2001 would have been... Would that have been early Steve Jones at outside half? Who was, who was flying out? 2001, it was still Neil Jenkins at the end of his career. Oh, Jason, come right at the end of it then, OK. It was Reese Williams at fullback. He must have been pretty young then. Howley at scrum half? No, who's scrum half? Howley at scrum half, yeah. Howley, okay. Jenkins, uh, Mark Taylor and Scott Gibbs. That's yeah. a cracking centre partnership, that yeah, is. Yeah, it's good. It really I mean, is. They, I mean, they, were, they really played well together because they, they were very, you know, um, Gibbs, he was very direct. Great, an amazing acceleration. Just a bloody 
Yes. The league and came back and just lit it up again. So it was a. Uh... Mark Jones on the wing, whose career ended far too early. Yeah. Heartbreaking <laughs> try, didn't quite score as well. Darren Morris in the prop, who was one of my favourite props ever for ages. I don't know. I think I've forgotten him. He was dark haired, quite a chubby sort of prop, played for no offense, Darren. Swansea, I think. He, um, he was a bit of a Hollywood prop. He'd throw big dummies and stuff. He was very comfortable with the ball in his hands. He, he, went, on, he went on the Lions tour in 2001. Robbie McBride, obviously, yeah. Wales' strongest man. Couldn't have, couldn't have counted half around his voice. <laughs> Die Young was was captain and tight head. Good player. Or was he loose? I can't remember. Uh, Ian Goff, Andy Moore, Colin Charvis, Scott Quinnell, Martin Williams. Yeah, not a bad yeah, team. Yeah, decent back. I mean, Martin Williams, Martin Williams is, was, I think, one of our best ever flankers. But, um, Absolutely. Scott, yeah. Scott did a job. I, I, I never particularly... This is going to sound awful, but I, I, I never thought he fulfilled his potential in, in Union. And I know the level he played, I know the tries he scored, but I just thought, you know, he didn't do enough for me. I think he was defensively a bit lazy. Yeah, well, I, I played in the same, we were in the same age group rugby from like under 11s all the way through. So I played against Scottish, like East Wales against West Wales and Celestia against Cardiff. And, you know, and he, he would always, he would always score tries. He was a big lump. He was lazy in defence. And if we had trial matches and, and things, because um, he was Derek Cornell's son, like Scott Quaffin would have would have an injury doing all the sort of, you know, the actual training bit. Mm. And all the selectors are like, oh, how's your dad? How's your dad, Scott? How's your dad, Scott? How's your dad, Scott? <laughs> and then next thing, Cornell's starting, you think, oh, you bastard. So uh, they scored that one tremendous try in the corner of Wales. He did he did well in league. I, I, I thought he'd get battered in rugby league, and he didn't. So that was fair play to him. He got battered in his first game, didn't he? And came off, and he said, "You've got to go back on." His nose was smashed in, and stuff. Yeah, he said, "You've got to go back on." And he said, "He said, he said, whatever happens, you've got to go back on, or, or you're finished yeah. in this game." Basically, oh, yeah, you get found out quick up there. But I mean, he did, he did well at league. I'm not saying he wasn't a good player. He was a good player. I just thought he didn't quite fulfil his. He never defense. loved league. I think a different difference with Jiffy was that Jiffy clearly loved it when he played it. Yeah, but you know, he, he loved, was... and I don't think Quinnell ever really loved it. It helps being. The best rugby league player in the world as well, though, isn't it? Which he, which he was. He was. I mean, he gets on my nerves <laughs> sometimes, but good God, he was staggering. It's unbelievable. I've, have you ever seen anybody can change direction at, off both feet at that speed? The it's thing with incredible. him, incredible. We're at a tangent slightly, obviously, but yes, because he took that big ooter and a mullet, you know, and he was never he never looked ripped. You never thought, and he was white. You never thought he was as quick as he was. So like when you watch his acceleration, it's it's insane. Like mm. the, that that uh, test match against Australia, when he goes around Andrew Ettenhausen. Jesus yeah. Christ! <laughs> yeah. I, I'd love to know what the time he sprinted that that yardage. It, it was nuts how fast he was going. Anyway, that was the 2001 foot and mouth scenario when England's uh, dreams of Grand Slam were, were thwarted once again. Yeah. Let's move on to 1999, which is our second selection, which is when Scotland won it. Scotland will forever be Five Nations champions, Mike. Yeah, they were last ones. Yeah, yeah nobody can did. ever, ever take it away from them. Before it came in. No, that was good. And, and um, it was the, that was the World Cup year when it was in Wales, wasn't it? Correct. And we were all panicking that they weren't going to get the stadium. England's Yanni De Beer drop goal nightmare. Yeah, true. Five drop goals. Well, that's Scotland. I think what Scotland. It must really piss the English off. And I'm not, I'm not knocking English. It does sound like I am sometimes, but it's always <laughs> tongue in cheek. Um, the number of times that Scotland beat England when they've got no right to beat them is unbelievable. Yes. You know, 
And that, that, I think that year then, 99, wasn't a, it wasn't a vintage England team, but they, they should have beaten Scotland. Well, the social Wales have beaten Scotland, although Wales were in the doldrums for a couple of years. But, um, it was a schizophrenic tournament for Wales, I think is, is, is what I would say. And we're going to talk about that in a little minute. But, um, yeah. uh, so, but the thing about Scotland was, this was the kind of zenith of the kilted Kiwis period, which is what it got branded. If you remember that the Scotland team contained Glenn Metcalf. John and Martin Leslie, and then Leslie's, yeah. following on from that, Sean Longstaff and Gordon Simpson had come in. Although, to be fair, I think I don't know why Scotland were particularly singled out on this and continue to be singled out on this. Actually, yes, yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Wales. I'm thinking of Shane Howarth. At least the Scottish Kiwis were eligible to play for Scotland. <laughs> yeah, apart from well, David Hilton, but he was English. He wasn't eligible either. But I just remember David Hilton when it came out that he wasn't Scottish and he was heartbroken because his entire family (laughs) mythology was that the granddad was born in Edinburgh. They had kilts. It was a big part of who they were. And then they went and looked at him and said, no, he wasn't. And they were like, fuck. Shane Howarth knew very well where his grandparents are from. He was called Howarth, though, so he thought he could, you know. Remember Brett Sinkinson? He said, did he say his granddad was randomly from somewhere like Colwyn Bay, which is really which is random. the most obscure place you can they're not going to check somewhere <laughs> yeah. they haven't got a post office or records what's funny about that is that clearly nobody checked did they people just went oh yeah I'm eligible alright fine come to camp then no <laughs> yeah. well how was that about it wasn't like he had a cap and then they found out I think he had about 20 caps didn't he he's a good player as well nice player yeah, great player yeah but oh, they, well. they were single out because at this time you, as you've yeah. mentioned Howard you know Ireland had I think Andy Ward came over from New Zealand they had Isaac Boss you know they were quite everybody was you know Plenty were doing it. Oh yeah, look at well, look at the England, you know, look at the England team. Then that well, not, it wasn't long after this that Ricky Flutie was in and all that kind of know? stuff. Yeah, a lot of explain that. You see, you've still got to turn up. You still got to play for that team. You know, with those coaches, on, you know, and, and beat the people in front of you. So, yeah, play the Scots for that one. And they did that week. They did that. So, they beat France thirty-six twenty-two in Paris, um, and it was a. T- there was a terrible where I won't play it all because it goes on for so long, but there was an absolutely terrible rendition of the Scottish anthem. Oh, come on. Go on. Let me just check my volumes right. Yeah. <laughs> this is the uh sounds not great. That's about, that's about quarter of the speed of it. Yeah. It sounds like they're playing it on the wrong speed. Or that it's <laughs> it's some old, you know, Black Watch General's funeral. You know when you put like a seven-inch single on it, a, a 33 RPM? Yes. Sounds like that. It's like Leonard Cohen's version. Oh, that's I, won't, I won't keep going, but yeah, by the the crowd all boo when it finishes. The Scottish fans all boo and just stop singing by the second verse. It's I abs- didn't realise until fairly recently that that is not even a... That, that's a, quite a new song, Flower of Scotland. That was played by by some Scottish it's a folk, folk group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah from yeah. the late sixties, and they just started singing that in the clubs and everything, and then that became their thing. I mean, before that, it was all "God Save the Queen," which went down well in the, in Dublin and Cardiff, didn't it? And, and they used to play. Did they used to play Scotland the Brave for Scotland football games? I think they used to play that. Yeah, but... they, they definitely used to play. And I think France were, were sort of late to the party with, when when the home nations had their own anthems because they would still play. God Save the Queen in Paris for, for Wales games. Well oh, after it. Did they? I didn't know that. Yeah. If you watch the film Grand Slam, Windsor Davis, God rest his soul, just passed away last week. Yeah, he has, yeah. Uh, everyone knows, listen to the podcast, It Ain't Half Hot Man, but I mean, he was in a Welsh film, which is my favourite film called Grand Slam, 1978. 
and uh, and they they go and they show the uh, highlights of the France Wales game. That's part of the film, and in, the, in that film that they're singing "God Save the Queen," like the band are playing "God Save the Queen." And, and the brother's going, that's not our anthem. That's not our anthem. <laughs> that isn't our anthem. Uh, I don't think it's the English anthem either. It pisses me off. It's just I don't the UK's... Get, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, fine, the Queen is the Queen of everybody, regardless of what you think of that. That's a fact right now. Uh, but I it pisses me off that, as England, we don't have an identifiable song. And they always say, like, Jerusalem as the, as the plan B. That's worse. I mean, that, it, it's more religious, and it talks about England being Jerusalem, which is in fucking Israel, so... Should, I think we should have embarrassment by madness or something like that. I think I think Jim Davidson in the eighties. I, I don't, I don't like where this is going, but go on. I don't. I can't find it anywhere. He did an awful song called uh, I think it was called England, and it was it just it was dripping with with, with jingoism and xenophobia. I, he, I he is find... he is the arsehole's arsehole, isn't he though? Oh, Jim amazing. Davidson, an, an amazing man, and he was trying to sort of push that I think at one point to be the new English English anthem. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, it was amazing. If so, you imagine every BNP rally, that would be like the call to arms. He probably you know? is now, isn't it? He probably turns up to them. Well, he can't get a gig anywhere else, can he? So <laughs> so anyway, so... Gig's a gig, isn't it? Who books that one? Yeah. <laughs> so if it's paying, it's paying. So, um, yeah, so there's that horrendous anthem, which obviously wound the Scots up a bit, because they were 20, after 27 minutes, they were 36-12 up Brilliant. in that game. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans on Twitter as well, say it's probably the best half hour or first half of rugby or half of rugby they've ever seen Scotland play. I can't, you know, I can't remember. I should, I should have googled the game, but I mean, um, I can't. What? So who was that team? That, that was team the. Would have been. It was John Leslie, um, yeah. Townsend, Gary Armstrong was still playing. Right. Okay. Amazingly, um, was, he was uh, captain then. Scott Hastings still around or no? No, no, he wasn't. Gone, Give me one second, I'll find it. Because I'm interested now as well. About to see. Yeah, it was um it was Glenn Metcalf was a fullback who had a great tournament actually. He was a kilted mm-hmm. Kiwi, but a lovely attacking Kiwi sort of fullback. Yeah. Uh Murray was on the wing. Alan Tate was in the centres with John Leslie. Oh, which that's is, a cracking player. That's a, and that's a banging pairing, actually. Yeah, it is. Kenny Logan. Yeah. Gregor Townsend, Gary Armstrong. Uh, David Hilton, who we've already mentioned, Gordon Bullock, Paul Burnell, Scott Murray, the second row, the big ears, mm. remember him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Stuart Grimes, Budge Pountney. Yes. Uh, Reed, and then Martin Leslie was number eight. It's a good side, too. Solid isn't side, it? isn't it? That's the thing. It wasn't, you know, wasn't no, I don't think anyone expected them to win the tournament, but it wasn't out of bounds that they that they did. Um, and they, they scored 16 tries in this tournament. I love the Six Nations, man. And <laughs> it was a five nations this the last one but yeah I know what you mean yeah, yeah. true 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 I'd like to so yes yeah, so, so they finally so they won that and that was the last championship they won God bless them yeah and it's been up, well, a bit like England it's been up and down since but they did I'm just going to give it some people did say can we talk about the Calcutta Cup from last year which is that magnificent win over England so I'm going to give a hat tip to that oh, and mainly because it led to this video of, of Laid Law and Finn Russell in a club absolutely bladded <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. With a Laidlaw ripping his shirt open just because oh, that's what you do. Yeah, it was yeah, a ties yeah. round the head moment, you know. But the best bit is a bit at the end. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just a drunk a expletive for absolutely no reason. 
Chuck it in the Anglo-Saxon just to rub, rub salt in the wound at the end there. <laughs> you can't, yes. <laughs> but halfway through the song when he watches the video, he does just, later just starts ripping his shirt open. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, if you can't go out, even in this professional day when you have to run your best behaviour and all that stuff, if you can't go out and get completely pissed with your mates like that. after that no. kind of win, what are you exactly. playing the game for? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. 100%, mate, yeah. You haven't got to convince me about that one, don't you? <laughs> It's a bit like it must be like barrier vets tours. That must be like that. We get pissed before the game and then do it and then just get more pissed afterwards. <laughs> Quality stuff. Right. Speaking of 1999, um, let's talk about Wales versus England that year. Oh, mate. Go on. This is the year I got married, actually. I'm married 20 right. years this year. So it always sticks in my mind. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, as I mentioned before, it was a schizophrenic year for Wales because they lost handily oh. to Scotland and Ireland. Yeah, well, that sort of fed into my recollection of, of, of the, the England game, really, because a friend of mine, Simon, who now plays and got sorry, coaches over in Canada, he um, got tickets for the Ireland game. And it was a home, the home games were in Wembley because of the stadium being built. Yeah. So I went to Wembley to see us home against uh, Ireland. I went to the Ireland game. Yeah. We got back, you know, we got beaten by Ireland there. I was thinking, oh, Keith Wood's got a lovely try. He, kind of, he stepped he stop Gibbs, Scott Gibbs under the post, if I remember. Yeah. But we lost that, and then the England game rolled around, and he said, "I got your ticket again for the England game." I said, "No thanks, mate." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, well, "I said, well, I said it'll be bad enough." I said, "Watching England beat us in Cardiff, I'm not going to London for a home game to watch us lose to England in, in London. I can't do it." So that and I, I was so convinced we were going to get beaten by the English, and I was so depressed about it in my weird little Welsh nationalistic way that I didn't even go to the pub because some of the boys were at the pub. I went to my nan's in Merthyr. So I think if I drink, I'm just going to get morose. <laughs> so I, went to my, I, I watched that game in my nan's in Merthyr Vale with like a cup of tea and, and a Mr. Kipling's French fancy. And when Gibbsy scored that try, I've never been so fucking gutted at all. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed emotions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But they were the days before the mobile phones, thank God, because I, I, I would have caught it there. But he, he phoned me the next day. So I said, what was it like? He said, oh, mate, it was electric. I can't believe you didn't go. I said, oh, thanks. Cheers. But it was it was fabulous, the win. There's a brilliant there's a, there's a brilliant clip of Henry walking at the end of that, and he, and he rubs underneath his eye with his with his fingers. And McLaren says, oh, and, you know, he wipes a tear away. And, and I think and in that week later on, they said, well, you cried at the end of, of, of that, Graham. And he went, no. He said, I haven't, he said I, I haven't cried in my entire adult life. And he had this kind of look on his face. It was like he had this sudden dawning realisation that that wasn't normal. <laughs> you know? Oh, maybe there's something wrong with that. Yeah, uh, sort of thing. Yeah, well, so... I was going to say about that game as well. The um, People forget with that game that that wasn't... You all thought that was the end of the game because they only showed that clip and, you know, yes. Gibbs does that beautiful dancing... So lands and sidesteps at the same time. Well, why did he become a completely different player? He'd spent 10 years running very hard at the line. Yeah, very And then he went through the line. I thought, somebody would get him. And he, he, just, and he just kept going. If you, and if you, yeah, if you kind of soundtracked it, it'd go boing, boing, boing. So I mean, like bouncing sidesteps. Yeah. And then he, he sort of barreled over with that lovely ball in front of his chest there. But then the kick was still a tough kick to make. You know, because it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a given on the, on the right-hand side for a right-footed right kick. No. But we got the kick. But then England had a chance after that to win the game with a kick. Yes, they did, didn't they? Yeah. People think that was right at the end of the game, but then we had a kick back to them and they got the ball back and they, I think they had a penalty. But it was certainly an hour and a half, if I remember correctly, and they missed the kick. So, I mean, we could still have lost it. But, um, 
Wilkinson was 19 in this game and he was playing number 13. He's playing outside centre at 19. And it was oh. it was interesting because Neil Jenkins, it was interesting for me watching it because when you look, you don't know at the time, when you look back now, Neil Jenkins basically invented, I think, invented the modern kicker. You yeah. could argue it was Grant Fox, maybe. Uh, there's an argument to be made, but I think in terms of actually being fully coached and the preparation yeah. and the high T position and all of that kind of stuff. And just having that exact same routine every all time. All that stuff, up, yeah. He you know? basically invented that. And it was yeah. no, one, he was talented, of course, but it, it was no coincidence that he was so successful because he invented yeah. this this new way. And, it, and it's, it's interesting when you watch it now and you see 19-year-old Wilkinson doing very similar things even then. Yeah. Same routine, yeah. not really missing. It was an incredible um, kicking performance all over, really. So you didn't go to I watched a great. I watched a great thing with uh, Lee Halfpenny was on TV here uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe Christmas time, talking about we would go to his little uh, rugby pitch near his house and he would kick, you know, 100, 200 kicks after school, mm. you know, and he still goes to that same place now every day to sort of practice. He's there Christmas Day. And uh, he said he kicks to the same post. And he should imagine, always imagines a, a third post and kicking towards the third post in the middle. And he said, wherever he goes, where, where he is in the world, when he, that final breath, when he settles himself, he's just picturing himself on that park's pitch near his house and that, on that most set of posts. He said, every kick I've ever kicked has been at those posts. I think that's the most thing. Yeah, that is because Wilkinson used to say he used to, he used to pick a seat behind the goal, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, so to make to make it so the target was much bigger, he was actually aiming for Such a specific a seat. Hmm? Such a good player. Just oh, it's a ridiculously good player. It's only when you look back. Too brave for his own good. Um, much too brave for his own good in many ways. But um, and also, a lot of people said he was quite one-dimensional. No, that's bollocks. But actually, again, going back to the first thing we talked about, if you look at him in that period, he had everything. He could pass. He could chip and chase. He could kick everything. He could do everything. He was well, hard. Funny. He was. He was. He wasn't. He wasn't lightning quick. But he was. He was. He was good enough. We mentioned Jenks earlier. I think Jenks got a hard time at a fly half and never got the the, the respect he was due either. Because he wasn't you Phil watched, Bennett. You no, know, he wasn't Phil Bennett. And he, but the defenses weren't the defenses Phil Bennett was facing either. But you watch the way that Jenks would put other players into space. Very unselfish player. You know, it's, he had a lovely pass, lovely flat pass. He could kick off, you know, he, like you said about Wilkinson. Jenks could chip, he could pass. He, he could make breaks, you know. He, he was. He, he was had decent. no pace once he'd made them. <laughs> no, he had no pace. But, I mean, I I think he, he was only ever seen by people who didn't understand rugby as, as a kicker. And there, there was a lot more to his game than that. And people forget as well that when Henry came in, he basically made um, Jenkins play flat. Before yeah. that, he'd been stood 10 metres behind the scrum yeah. attacking, and he said, no, you need to stand up here. And he adapted to it, and you, you can't be a kind of one-dimensional, not much use when you're up that flat like he was for two years, effectively. And doing defend, those... Yeah, you've got a defender in your face straight away. You know? yeah. it's, a different, it's a different way of playing. Talking about that game, though, I had, the memory I had of that game is that we were that England were effective. I've not watched it for quite some time until this week. And my memory was that England were effectively all over Wales and kept fucking it up. That was the yeah. memory I had. But actually, when I look back, they weren't. They would. They had more possession, but they never mm. had an amazing number of scoring chances. What we had was absolutely minging discipline. And Woodward would always make the point that, oh well, every time we don't get the Grand Slam or we don't win a tournament or whatever, we're always learning something. And people go, oh, "Fucking, how much more do you need to learn after four years of yeah. not quite doing it?" <laughs> yeah. But actually, in this game, it was very true that the the when you got Jenkins playing and you defend and you 
discipline so terrible. It doesn't matter how dominant you are in possession. No. The, you know, the scoreboard pressure will never come. He'll just keep, and he did just keep Wales in the game. It doesn't matter if it's rugby union or, you know, I'm a big American football fan, but um, those penalties will kill you. The, the most successful teams are the ones that don't turn the ball over and don't give away penalties. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. And especially when you've got someone who's a machine like Jenkins. If you give away penalties anywhere 60 metres away from, from your line, you're going to be three points down. It's interesting that, talk about, you know, it's it's the oldest story in the book and, you know, it's obvious to say it, but I think in these days of analysis, people forget the obvious stuff sometimes or they think the obvious stuff has been reinvented. It's interesting because um, Gregor Townsend, we mentioned before, brilliant player, he was wonderful in that France game, uh, his range of passing and everything in that 1999 Scotland game team. He has this thing with Scotland that they they he, he uses the analysis to focus on two-second rooks. He wants okay. the ball out in two seconds. Now, one, Scotland was... I've built their entire history on fast rucking. That's mm-hmm. what they've always done. And people go, isn't that incredible that they can do this? And it's, I'm going to make no. Getting the ball out quick from breakdown is the most obvious fundamental of the game yeah. of rugby. But people yeah. pretend like these things have been reinvented because you can now analyse them in such detail. They somehow become convinced it's a new idea, I think. It's really you, strange. You, you you can watch if you've watched any sort of any level of rugby or, or any you know if you've got any sort of background in it whatsoever. I can watch a game of rugby on TV now. Doesn't matter if it's Premier, you know. Doesn't matter if it's watching Exeter or watching Cardiff Blues or watching Wales or watching England. Doesn't matter. You can tell when there's a try on immediately, right? And it, it can be 40, 50 meters out because it'll be someone bollocking onto a lovely flat pass with no break in stride, right? Ball in two hands, you've got a like triple threat going on. You can just call it, you say, try time. And you know, two passes later, there's a try. It's, it's this very simple game that's made very complicated by people. Yes, I think that's true. And I think there's nothing wrong with using analysis to develop the obvious stuff better, which is what Townsend's doing there. But sometimes it's presented like this is a revolutionary idea. Nah. If you have if you have Good five ball. rooks that are shorter than two seconds, you're going to score. Mm. because the defence will be all over the fucking place. Yeah, and people exactly. knew that in 1975, and they know that now. You know, it's really it's like with the, the, the All Blacks, I hate to use the example, but they are the best team in the world. They would just practice and practice and practice and practice, passing off the right hand and off the left hand, you know, and just to make their passing so quick and so accurate. The number of times you'll see, a, you'll see some lovely pass, but it's not. You watch it, and they're picking it off their hip, or they've had to check their stride or it's a little bit too high, okay? If the ball's in front of you there, very simple to, very simple to talk about, you know, and it should be simple to do. How many games do you see when there's an overlap and people, you know, professional rugby players can't pass to their right? It mm. freaks you out. You're like, for fuck's sake, there's your job, right? <laughs> if, you're on, if, if you're on two grand a week, learn to pass a ball to the right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So going back to this Wales England game, nineteen ninety nine. One, we kept our discipline was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, so, for example, there was and and here's an example of how close it was. Thirty two, thirty one. In the end, in case anybody doesn't remember, there was a penalty that was just inside the Wales half for Wales. Neil Back came along and grabbed the ball and ran off with it. Yeah. And Andre Watson marched it ten meters, made it kickable, and guess what yeah. happened? Yeah. And that was a perfect example, really, of what was happening with the whole game. And then there was poor decision. You talk about this learning stuff that maybe then did become part of the journey to 2003. You know, we we were up and winning in the second half. We kicked for touch instead of kicking sticks. 
Then Mike Hatt did a, a completely stupid sort of chipped up and under on the 22 to try and get a a, 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 a try. It was a completely a low a low possession. Oh yeah, you got your cat story. I'll come back to that. There was a low possession. Can you can you say on there? There was a low. It was a low percentage effort. Um, so then Wales get the ball. And then they come back and Tim Rodber basically nearly takes Colin Chavez's head off, which would have been a red card today. But there was a yeah. debate then whether whether it was even a penalty, obviously. Yeah. yeah. They kick it upfield and the rest is history as we've already talked about. Off the top yeah. to Scott Quinnell, who juggled with it a bit, pops it to Scott Gibbs and through he goes and boing, boing, boing and fuck. Two French fancies, cup of tea, job done. <laughs> Did you throw a fucking... A lot of fondant cream around, just, it, around man, your hands. My nan, God bless, God rest her soul. She didn't. She she was a, uh, you know, she liked to see Wales do well. She didn't understand the laws of rugby. It was just me and my nan in the room. My, you know, my granddad had passed away by this point. There was just, my sister wasn't there. It was just me and my nan. <laughs> 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 Cut tea in a French. So how old you been then? Late twenties. You're, you're well, a little bit older than me, aren't you? You'd have been twenty-seven. Like, yeah, <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you. Been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! You must wake up in a sweat thinking about this even now. Oh fucking hell! I didn't take that. I don't have many regrets, but this is one of them. Free ticket. I know. I know. Didn't even. It would have cost me nothing. The, the coach was paid for. The ticket was paid for. It was all done. It was just turn up. But you just me. couldn't. See, your couldn't chippiness prevented you from from going to watch that game. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have a shit time. I'm going to lose to England in London on a home game. Someone's going to say something. I'm going to be surrounded play. by those fucking bastards. I'll throw a beer over some cook in a bar, but it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and that, another thing that's not mentioned as well was in 1999 that Wales beat France by a point in a mad game in Paris as well. Yeah, that was. Um, I think Ben Evans played in that game. Played prop. I think he may have done. He was certainly on the bench around about this time. I think, I think Budget played as well. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Lewis they... was on the bench, I think, in this period. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's weird to have three blokes from a university team. I think, I think they were all in that squad. Yeah, that was a good win, that. It was. Craig Quinnell's famous try. Rob, the burst, and Rob Aldi ran through. Give it to Craig Quinnell. <laughs> I saw Craig Quinnell playing for Cardiff. When I first moved to Cardiff in 98, I went to an um, evening European game against Quinns. Mm. Craig Quinnell came to the side of the pitch and threw up. Yeah. He was a big lump, but I don't think he was very good in the off-season. No, I don't think he was very good in the on-season, to be fair. <laughs> and uh, I never forget as well, speaking of overweight, Gareth Reese was at the back end of his career. He was playing 10. Brilliant. For Ali Prop, he was so fat. He looked like yeah, a weeble yeah. in a scrum hat. Imagine. He never ran. He just sort of like slowly walked around, throwing lovely passes. He but... had the biggest shorts in the, in the squad. I think that, that was the take <laughs> He was a little bit pear-shaped anyway, wasn't he? But he probably had a big, massive pot. Derby, I think he had 40-inch rugby shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Playing international rugby in the back. Amazing. Oh, He's big, days. isn't it? He's great. Did you, know, did you know him in your Canada days, Gareth Reese? Do you know, I never met him, but his, his old man, uh, Taffy Reese, is from Barry. So my, my, my dad knew his dad. So I phoned up for tickets when I was, I was playing over there. I think Wales played Canada on tour. And I phoned up and, and to reserve some tickets. And the bloke said, uh, Hey, relation to Bob Bubbins? I said, Yeah, I'm Bob's son. Oh, tell him Taffy Reese said hello. I thought, Okay, no, I love rugby. I'm <laughs> <laughs> living in Toronto. Brilliant. Taffy Reese, they're imaginative with those nicknames, aren't they? Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right, so that was number three, which was Wales versus England in 1999, which I think everybody remembers who uh, had to witness it for different reasons, either through yeah. elation, through joy. I couldn't even swear because my nan was like a Sunday school teacher. Oh, was she? Was she a chapel type? Yeah, she was real chapel type. I couldn't even say, fucking get in. It was like, <laughs> oh, yes. 
Yes. And just have another French fancy. Uh, what r- a flipping try, man. <laughs> yes. You want another cup of tea, Mike? What's a try, love? Fuck off. <laughs> right. So that was number three. If I learned one thing in the last year, it's that falling into debt can happen to anyone. Luckily, I heard about the ISI, the Insolvency Service of Ireland. Their professional advisors can help you restructure or even write off your debt. The first thing they said to me was, every debt problem has a solution. I can still feel the relief. So if you're worried, visit their website backontrack.ie or free text get help to 50015. The ISI. Together, we'll get you back on track. When we talk about quitting smoking... When my first child was born, for them... Obviously money. We talk about why so much. Health for myself. My family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. You've already talked about why you want to quit. So let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1-800-201-203 and make the next stop your last stop. From the HSE. Number four, the Super Saturday in 2015. This is what the Six Nations is all about, this was. Isn't it, just Now, there's been much made about moving fixtures around. Wales will be playing France on a Friday night. I think France and Wales are the only two unions that agreed to it, that's right. I think so, yeah. And I of course, Wales did once have the DJ Spoonie nightclub Nice a few years ago. Do you remember that one when they closed the roof and DJ Spoonie did a specific mix pre-game? It's oh. like seriously, all you need is a, some old men singing some songs. That's honestly <laughs> exactly. all we need. You don't. Well, don't we don't need this. Dickheads doing pop music. There's no need for it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, so, so I sang on a pitch recently. I tell you that. You did well. You mentioned oh. you were going to. I can't remember if you did it on air or not. But oh, amazing! Yeah. So we do. There's a Welsh comedy called Tourist Trap that I'm in. Um, I think it'll be on the other player somewhere, but it was on BBC Wales. So, so we we just finished recording a Six Nations special for it. So as part of that, without no spoiler alerts, but um, I got to sing. I got to lead the choir out before the South Africa game, and then sing in the middle of the, the middle of the pitch in front of like sixty thousand people. So has this been on yet? Then because was he going out during the Six no, it's Nations? No, been on in the Six Nations. No, but um, yeah. So the, we had the the camera crew there, but then we had we obviously talked to the stadium camera crew as well, and they were told to sort of close up on me. So I was in the, on the big screen, like on the on the jumbo. Truck. Somebody took a photo of you on Twitter. For about three songs, I was up there singing, <laughs> and then I came off of my old Uick uh, lecturer, local Dave Cobner, lovely man, he used to watch me get sent off on a regular basis. <laughs> he said, as I came off, he said, "Mr. Bevins." I looked up at the stand. He was there. I said, "Hey, Dave, how you doing?" He went, "See, I told you we were you one day, didn't I?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Fuck off, Dave." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, what, what an experience that one. So, well, look out for that, I suppose, yeah, everyone. So, I said, there's not much to be said about moving fixtures, but I suppose what they have done is kept this Super Saturday sacrosanct, the last Saturday as, as the game's all back-to-back. And to be honest, it's it's had mixed results, but the bottom line is is that this this day was... This was a day for the ages, wasn't it? Staggering. Yeah. Let's just pick, in case you don't remember, you, you out there, let's just re- remind you of what situation we were in coming into the, to the game. Everyone had lost one game. Crazy. So basically, wins on the day for Wales, England and Ireland meant they'd all be on eight points and it'd all come down to points difference. Wales had been okay, but a little bit stuttering this year. And they were up first and they absolutely thumped Italy 61-20. Yeah, that's 
which put them in eight points, obviously, with a plus 53 points difference, which then looked, to be honest, looked like Wales yeah. were in pole position to win, to win yeah. the championship. Um, Ireland were next against Scotland at Murrayfield and had to win by more than 21 points to put them in the lead. Um, I think I said at the time, I'll say it again now, Scotland had one job, which was to not be shite. Couldn't quite manage it. And couldn't quite manage it on this day, unfortunately. 30 points, 30 point difference or something? Yeah, 40 points to 10, which then put Ireland on eight points, but with a plus 63 points difference. So they were in, which then meant England had to go to, well, not go to Twickenham, they were at Twickenham, welcome France to Twickenham, and win by 26 points to take the title. This was a fucking nail biter, this one. But it ended up finishing 55-35. Imagine scoring 55 points in Paris. Losing one game all season and then not winning the championship. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, was it was at Twickenham this game? But yeah. I'm oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, Twickenham. Even so, yeah. fifty five points versus France in anybody's we hadn't done oh, that since we hammered them in two thousand and one effectively. But um and, back to discipline. This is this is our friend, wasn't it? He yeah, I posted the video because I was watching this bollock. and he dropped a massive sliding tackle bollock. And lest we forget Lest we forget, France scored two tries when he was off the pitch. Yeah, I know. Exactly. England did score one as well. But even so, it's just yeah. what did you and you watch it though, and it, it's we've we we could do a separate podcast just on James Nassel. I'm aware of this, right? But the sheer fucking idiocy, right, of doing that. And I'm no one to talk about doing stupid things on rugby pitches, right? But this is to win. This is ultimately to win the Six Nations Championship, right? And all we had to do was not do a really obvious kick right in front of the referee, right? That's all he had to do, you know? If he'd yeah. hit him a bit, if he'd hit him a bit late, it would have been stupid and, he, he, you know, it would have been a penalty. And please, someone's already dropping the ball so. as well, don't forget. I know, that's what I mean. You watch it and he runs to the side of him and then sticks a leg out and just kicks him in the knee. It looks like he might slip over. I think he no, slips up, but that, and even if he did, if he did, but you still don't need to stick your leg because he literally he, he takes him round the knees. It's not like a I've fallen awkwardly and I've caught your ankles. He literally lifts his left leg up to take his knees. Can you imagine? It's spectacularly mate? stupid. If Martin Johnson was captain, he'd have got a punch in the ear on the way off the pitch, <laughs> yes. wouldn't he? And rightly so. The knob. I mean, oh yeah. But, if, I, if I if I was an English fan, which I'm not. I mean, I can, I can tell you when he when he got sinbinned, there were there was elation in the pubs of Cardiff that day, right? But I mean, what an idiotic thing to do! Yeah, because it looked like it might have been on. That's the other thing. It's yeah. all very well if you think, "Well, she's fucking not on." Whatever, you know. Ooh. Some people do stupid things, don't they? But well, it looked it like was... it might have been on. It was a really, 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 really stupid thing to do. And, so and, it's, and the thing about tripping is the thing about tripping is it's not even within the realms of what's normal. Do you know if no. you tackle a bit too high, you can say, oh, well, I slipped, or it's tripping, kind of... Mate, at any level of rugby, from under-10s up to British Lions, tripping's a, what we call in Wales a cunt's game, isn't it? It's just a horrible <laughs> thing to do. It's up there with spitting and eyes. Oh, yeah, you just don't do it, do you? Just don't do it, mate. You just don't do it. You can hit people high, you can hit people without your arms, you can do what you like, but I mean, and they're all fouls, but kicking somebody in the, in the knee... Indeed. Yeah, speaks volumes of them. So we needed 26 points. So we won by twenty points. We won by twenty points. We needed twenty six. Um, we were very, we were driving for the line at the last minute as well, but they managed to snaffle it and kick it out. Yeah, did he play? He didn't play much after that, but I mean, he'd have been. He was reborn under Jones, wasn't he? Effectively, <sighs> should have been dropped forever. <laughs> um, so 
I, was, I, I would have tried, like I said, when he put that on Twitter, I was going to share it, but then I realised that me and everyone I know is, is blocked from uh, James Haskell. Yeah, so. I'm completely blocked by him. Uh, but so <laughs> I'm blocked by him, Austin Healy, and Sean Holly. Oh, Sean's a nice bloke. I'll, I'll yeah, have I we spent ages see. winding him up about his songs. Well, fair enough. We got a, t- a hashtag called Sean Holly Songs going and got everybody to think a lot of stupid song titles. You know, so. This week I got followed by Matt and Luke Goss from Bross. I saw that because you were quite, you were basically just shamelessly grubbing them for a follow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, it wasn't even my finest moment. My finest moment on Twitter was, was being blocked by James Haskell. <laughs> I got, I'm absolutely, there's a, people who listen to the pod will know that I've developed quite a deep man love for an American singer-songwriter called Jason Isbell. Okay. Of Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. I don't uh, know, but I'm going to look him up after this. You need to, I think you'll like him, Mike. Okay. I've listened to, if, if you, you love your wife, right? Uh, yeah, well, listen to it, <laughs> listen to If We Were Vampires, If You Love Your Wife, okay, and, cool. and try not to cry. But um, anyway, so... I've never cried in my adult life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, you felt like crying at your nans that day, I bet. But uh, sorry, I can't remember the point. Oh yeah, anyway, he liked one of my tweets the other week. Oh, there we go. And I screenshotted it and sent it to my friends who all like him as well. And, he, and my mate said, "You need to deal with this with the dignity it deserves by framing it in the house and showing it to everybody that comes round." Good. I've developed like a ridiculous teenage fan crush at the age of forty-three. It's quite depressing, really. Well, I got followed by the tragedy hit my favourite band. Um, well, yeah. I heard you on Blood on the Tracks talk about them, and I was one of these people who was like, I've kind of heard of them, but I've never really listened much. So I have actually well, listened to them since then. Well, listen, mate, they're fantastic. Man. Yeah, but I was on there the once just looking at their Twitter feed, and it just says, you know, the little grey box there, Tragedy Hit follows you. I was like, what? <laughs> this, is, this, is like, this is amazing. Yeah, so there we go. Funny old world, Twitter, isn't it? Isn't it? Anyway, so what were we talking about? Yeah, so I think the point you made at the beginning is the one we're trying to make with this one. It was probably one of the greatest days of rugby oh, you'll ever see. Soap opera, it was brilliant. And it was just, and it was seven, eight hours long. And you won't get that in any other rugby tournament in the world. You won't get that in the World Cup. You won't get that in the in the in the, in the championship. You know, this was. Yeah, so, I, th- I think the greatest, the world's greatest tournament is slightly overplayed sometimes because I hate the kind of PR that goes with it. But the fact, because sometimes it can be shit. But the fact is that what it does have is a potential to do this. Yeah. And with those kind of rivalries and that kind of. Quality, which it was that day. It was yeah. a really quality day. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was remarkable. So there you go. Super Quite Saturday. Right. Quite remarkable. Super Saturday. Uh, let's talk about number five. Yes, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Wales end their twenty-seven year wait for a Grand Slam. Twenty-seven years in two thousand and five. Well, funny enough, I did a thing for BBC Wales earlier today. This has been a good day for me work-wise because I'm doing this this job sat on my, my kitchen table. Um, and then I did my job for BBC Wales earlier in my bar. They said, could we record in your bar? I said, yeah, that's fine. And then my son super switched on and said, Dad, charging travel expenses. You want me to charge BBC 20 quid to walk to my own garage. So, um, yes, yeah, so it was it was about the Six Nations. They wanted me to do a, a piece on, uh, you basically they asked various people to pick their favourite try and then put them on before that corresponding game in the Six Nations. So mine was um, 2005, was Martin Williams scoring um, off Shane Williams. It went, I'll think, I'll think of, the, of the entire the entire order in a second. But that was, it was just after half time, but it was a real turning point in that game against France. 
and then we beat France. And that was it. It was that was the that was the Grand Slam year. That was when that Wales team finally put the sort of seventies hoodoo to bed and won a Grand Slam. And then from there, you know, we we won two or three Grand Slams in fairly short order after that. And it, it completely changed completely changed Welsh rugby for me, you know, as a Welsh rugby fan. But that was um, Williams' try there was a pearler. He had a, he had a ridiculous tournament actually, an absolutely ridiculous tournament that year. And I remember so, the be I remember being really pissed off um, when the Lions went in two thousand and five. That Geach wanted David Wallace ended up starting, not Williams. But I suppose it was in South Africa and in two thousand and nine. Sorry, and looking back, it was in South Africa. And he's the kind of play and he, burns easily. Yeah, and they just wanted something like Wallace, who was a little bit more. Uh, because Steve Jones picked the ball up on the on the on our twenty-two, base of a ruck, and Henson had been tackled, and he just took off and went from to the other twenty-two, went through like five French tacklers, quick ball, bang, got the ball back. I think Dwayne Peel had a little snipe on the blind side, didn't do anything with it. This when Dwayne Peel was really good, wasn't he? He's a fantastic player, the, the most the most undercapped Welsh player I could think of. He was such a good scrum after Dwayne Peel, um, and then so he was tied in. So Jones went to sort of dummy half, as it were. Out to Henson, and then he had, we think it was Adam Jones in the line. He just looked up and thought, you're not having this fucking ball, mate. Just missed Adam <laughs> Jones out. Lovely flat pass to Martin Williams. Gave it straight to Shane. Shane put a little burst on, went outside. Shane in that time had really bad hair. He had like a... Oh, it was, like it was the classic mid-2000s mullet spike highlights, was And like bright white shoes on, right? And then uh, back inside to Martin Williams. Ryan Jones right behind him as well. Really good back row support. Bang, what a try, man. And, you know, that was that was a joyous moment in a joyous game for me. And a joyous tournament, I suppose. But um, and it was it, it was Henson's coming of age year, of course. We all thought it'd be so different after this for Gavin, yeah, didn't we? That's it. I, I still think he's, he's he's underrated, Gavin. I think he's he, he had a, a complete skill set as a player, just didn't have the temperament for it, you know. I, I don't I, I don't think people underrate him. I think they underrate um, I think it's poorly managed as a as a person. I know they, that, they judge it on his yeah. I, I know a couple of people who can and know him yeah. linked to his head and say he's, he was badly advised for about a five year period. Effectively, the problem is he's a bit, you know, he's a bit in the Oliver Reed mode. He he, he he likes going on the piss, and then when he's on the piss, he's a bit of a nuisance. Yeah, you know? and he's from Pankoy. You know what I mean? What else he's supposed yeah. to do? Exactly. There's not much. I've been there. I mean, it's, it's not even the cinema. There's nothing to do. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that team, that, that 2004, there's a, there's a bottle of beer in my bar, actually, called Bread of Heaven by Brains Brewery made it. And I bought that the day that we won the Grand Slam. And it's been unopened in my bar ever since. It's been there for 13 years now. So, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a funny old, because they came in, nobody expected them to do this. It was that first, it was, and it was really yeah. interesting to watch them, watch Wales. It wasn't the first game. wasn't much fun for me as an English person, but watching the way they grew through the tournament was incredible because it, it was very cagey versus England. Henson's kick, the tackles on Matt Tate, all of that stuff. Oh, how good are those though? Oh, I know. They yeah. show that they show that ad nauseum. That first one when he sort of just picks him up like a little boy and runs backwards with him. I know, yeah. <laughs> and this is this is the Ashton year because you got like Jamie Noon and Matt Tate. Fuck's sake! Uh-huh. I know, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Matt Tate. He was he was eighteen. He was he he had a lot of talent which he he showed throughout yeah, his career. But honestly, it was just... It yeah. looked like men against boys. And then Henson banged that huge kick over against England as well. Yes, he did. 
People forget that he was a really good goal kicker, long range goal kicker. And he was good for those moments, wasn't he? He fucking loved it. You know, you, you give oh, him yeah. a moment like yeah, that, he's like, yes, please. Yeah, I'll kick it, no problem. Yeah, big, yeah exactly. If he was a footballer, he'd be like, penalty shootout, is it? Give me the fucking ball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mine. Yeah. Let me say the last Which one, reminds, no we, problem. We, we played, uh, this is a quick aside, we played a staff cricket match about five, ten years ago now for my old school in Bath. And I went along to it. And uh, <laughs> there's always been a man who's, who's going up with the batting. So I said, oh, me, I'll, I'm open with the batting. I said, oh, only if I have first ball, though. I said, I don't want to go in there and open and not face. I want, I want, I want to take first ball. Because we were playing ex-pupils, you know, kids I used to teach. We had a kid called Paul Wood bowling. Was the teacher. Good, good cricket ability. And I was winding him up on the way in. I couldn't wait to get in there and just twat him back over his head. <laughs> Took my little middle leg guard, lovely. And fucking first ball hit me on the foot, right in front of the middle stump, right? And I tried to sort of shuffle to the side. <laughs> like, like a one-footed moonwalk to the side. Something to... inside you fell over when you realised exactly what was about to happen, yeah. And the umpire just, was another ex-pupil just stuck his finger up. He said, I said, oh, fuck off, don't. <laughs> Showing the right codes of the game, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was refusing to leave the crease, and then Sean Turner, my old head of the pub, went, Bubbins, fucking get off. So I had to walk off, but I mean... Uh, I yeah. can beat that one, because I went to... We used to go on these weekend retreats with uh, a learning disabled charity. Here we go. And um, <laughs> it, wasn't, I, it wasn't me, but there was this Gosh. guy you'd come on to help. We had, we had a game of cricket. Oh. And we were all getting ready. And he came out in full full pads oh. and everything. And he Quite came out and he was and he was marking his block and he asked for people to give him middle, you know, middle and off stump and stuff. We were like, right, okay. And this Down syndrome girl fucking skittled him. Middle stump first ball. <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever seen oh, in my life. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so that was that. What were we talking about? Oh, Marty Williams and penalties. Sorry, uh, yeah. Gavin Henson and penalties. Seems out. Seamlessly went from Gavin Henson to uh, Down Syndrome. Down Syndrome being bald neck and yeah. crop by a Down Syndrome yeah. girl. Yeah, so yeah. Um, there was this cagey thing. They were quite comfortable against Italy. They were really classy against France, as we've already talked about. Yeah. Then there was this like confidence against Scotland. And then, to be honest, by the time Ireland rolled round at home, you just well, I can remember the time thinking this is this is going to be absolutely fine. And it was a kind of consummate win. There was never. Do you know what? They put that game, it was on a huge screen outside the, um, the museum in Cardiff, Museum Place. It was, a, it was a really sunny day, if I remember correctly, that last day of the season. And uh, I, I was gigging. I had a singing gig. I used to do a bit of singing before I did comedy. And I was singing at a gig in Barry in the, in the Mount Sorrel Hotel. And Kelly said, listen, I, I said, I want to watch your game. She said, no, don't get pissed because you're singing tonight. I said, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Fucking Wales win a grand slam for the first time in nearly thirty years. Yeah. It was fucking steaming. So she picked me. She picked me up. <laughs> I had about two hours before this gig, and she said, "Oh my god, I can barely get in the car." Right. So she <laughs> she drove me. She drove me to Barry, which is about if you don't know, is about six miles away. I had to stop halfway for a piss against like against like someone's house. <laughs> and I got to this singing gig, and I had to just sit in the corner drinking cokes for two hours and hope they wouldn't see me. And then I somehow got through it. I, I, did, I did like a, an hour of, of Elvis songs on autopilot. But I mean, I was so drunk. It was ridiculous. It was... The beauty with Elvis is you can't, you can, although Elvis was a brilliant singer, yeah. and to do it properly, you have to be a very good singer, yeah. you can actually mumble your way through his stuff as well and get away yeah. with it. That's the genius of it, really. Um, yeah, so... And then... Just let's just talk about the team, actually. Yeah, so let's just remind ourselves what that team was. Kev Morgan at fullback. He was blighted by injury after this. 
which is a real shame because he was a really nice player. Very pacey as well. Mark Tosser on the wing, Tom Shanklin, Gavin Henson in the centres, Shane with his terrible hair. Uh, Stephen Jones and Dwayne Peel, lovely partnership for a long time. Gethin Jenkins, Mevin Davis and Adam Jones. He stuck around for ages, Mevin Davis, longer than you yeah. think. He was around for young. Yeah. He's, he was grey-haired by the time he stopped playing for Wales. Yeah. Uh, Brent Cobain, whose yeah. brother played for Australia, of course. Total skinhead, wasn't he? He looked like, he looked like he'd come from Romper Stomper. Yeah. He had a good game. Yeah, good. Well, you know, you know. I mean, the France game you played really well, but um, yeah, go on. Robert Sadoli, yeah, great. of the famous ice cream Sadolis. Lovely, nice boy. Ryan Jones, Martin Williams, and Michael Owen, and nothing. <laughs> the bench is interesting as well. Robin McBride, John Yap. Remember John Yap? Yeah, yeah. Uh, big John Yap, from Cardiff. Yeah, big sort. Of, always had a bit of a baby face for a big lad of prop, didn't he? Yeah, and it's shaved head and a bit yeah. goofy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Reese Williams. No, John Thomas was on the bench. Was on the bench. He had that brilliant World Cup in two thousand and three. Robert Soudan Taylor never quite came oh, off for him, did it? Bless him. You're not going to get away with the hyphen in Wales, mate. <laughs> <laughs> As Jamie Jones Hughes found out, you can yeah. fuck right off. Uh, Mike Phillips. And it's, tell you what, Jones, there's a hell of a aggro halfback partnership to come off because it's Mike Phillips and Kerry Sweeney on the bench. Yeah. If you want it to go off and have a bit of shit housing, oh, then that's a out. perfect. I love Mike Phillips. And uh, Sonny Parker was on the bench as well. See, that's a that's a that's a good team. There, it is a good team. And Michael Owen in a way. Can, and then obviously, what happened next? Well, so Clive Woodward took the Lions out there. Left Henson out. Wales beat Australia for the first time in eighteen years in the autumn. Yeah. And then Gareth Thomas had a physical and mental breakdown on scrum five, and by February two thousand and six, Mike Ruddock was gone. But you know what? That was the weirdest thing. Is what my my. Uh... My sister-in-law's a playwright, but there's some other bits and bobs. Like I had to drop something off at Ruddock's house. He wasn't there, but I sort of had to drop this. Was it treatment for a script, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, but I just remember thinking at the time, when he got when he got sort of fired and there was all that player power thing with Gareth Thomas and everything else, and this is, I said, this is classic Wales committee man bollocks at its finest, right? <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't think of another sport in the world in another country where you could win your first Grand Slam in 30 years, and then within 12 months, you've sacked your coach. And beat Australia that year for the first yeah. time in, in 18 years. All right, granted, they, they needed a drop goal to beat Fiji that same autumn, but Wales in the autumn is everyone's shit with Wales in the yeah. autumn. That's just how we it goes. We never, and this really winds the, my English friends up. Well, they, they always bang on about the autumn internationals who they've beaten. Obviously, we had a clean sweep this year. Which we, was, well, notable because it was so exceptional. Yeah, because we don't give a shit about it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference to us whatsoever. It's all about the Six Nations, you know. So, and it's all about the England game, if I'm really honest. Um, and Michael Owen's flash career. Sorry, you were telling us about Mike Ruddock's house. What were you dropping off? Was, was there an end to that story? No, just, just a videotape and stuff. But, but I just and there was there was all sorts of rumours about why he was. And I'm not going to say him on air, but I, the, the ones I've heard, right? Um, I just thought I can't believe that that it's come to that, you know. And I, if you watch that scrum five, if you if you watch, I think it was scrum five when he, when Andy Butler. It was, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Butler, Gareth Thomas, yeah. Knew what had gone on. I, I think, Gareth I think Thomas he, had a Motorhead t-shirt and a, and a horrible chicken korma coloured leather jacket. I really like that leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought he was going to smack him. I, I honestly got thought, because uh, at the time Gareth Thomas wasn't out either, if you remember. And I no, thought, he wasn't, no, no, yeah. And I thought... We had a sort of mini thought, stroke when he went home afterwards, didn't he? Ended up in hospital, Gareth Thomas. It yeah. was a really, really weird night. <laughs> well, I don't know what had gone on behind the scenes, though. Um, 
Yeah, that was just a strange thing. Cause there was the rumour that you know Gareth Thomas would lead this revolt of the players against against Ruddock and yeah. And that's what Butler said to him effectively, didn't he? And Gareth said, "Well, where are you getting this from?" And, he, yeah. and Butler says, "Sources." And he goes, yeah. "Well, I got sources. You got. We all got sources. Tell me you were sources." He says, anyway, "It's fucking brilliant." I know. Me and Josh yeah. always laugh that we say that any time somebody says they've got a source. Well, tell me you were sources. So. <laughs> Do you know I met? I uh, I was doing a thing for BBC Wales with. with uh, called the Six Nations Special last year on, on Welsh TV, and it was still Gabby Logan sort of hosting it, and it was Thomas Smith and me, and Sam Warburton and Gareth Thomas, right? So I said, "I'm a little boy who's a big rugby fan." I said, "Listen, come down and meet Sam Warburton, big Sam Warburton mm. fan." Right? So took his ball down with him and his and his and his Welsh rugby shirt, and uh, he, he couldn't be nicer than Sam Warburton. He was such a gentleman. Doesn't such surprise a... me at all. He seems like one of the loveliest blokes you could ever meet. He was like, "Oh, who are, you, who are you playing for, Ben?" "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah." Do you want to sign a shirt for you? And he's so quiet. And so he, he was kneeling down to talk to my son because my son was like eight. And Sam was like six foot four and built like a Brookshire house. Um, but he was so sweet, you know, and very quietly spoken. And I said to Ben, that, that's man over there, Gareth Thomas. He played for Wales too and the British Lions. Would you want to get him to sign your shirt as well? Oh, yeah, please, Dad. So he didn't, he didn't really know Gareth Thomas won. So I said, excuse me, Gareth. I said, this is my, my, this is my boy. He went, hey, Ben. How you doing, Ben? How you doing? Jesus Christ. And Ben like almost fell over with shock. He was terrified of like it's like six foot five ripped. Hey, imagine if he imagine if he still didn't have his teeth in. Oh man. At least he's got his teeth now, hasn't he? We fucking play for him, Matt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's great, isn't he? He's a character, isn't he? Yeah, so Ruddock was gone by two thousand and six and 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 that was that. So what a good oh, year. I thought, I thought we'd spunked it then because we, we we ended up thinking, oh god, I've been with thirty years and now it's gonna be another bloody thirty years. Well, it Same. paved the way for Gatland, I suppose. So all's well that ends well. And there's no people have had problems with Gatland, but you can't argue with his, out, his output, I suppose, at the end of the day. Right then. What he's got is amazing. Let's move on to number six, which is Ireland and their weight. But they've got a bit of a head start, well, not a head start, behind, because they waited 61 years for their Grand Slam and it only got one in 2009. There's a lot to unpack in 2009. And I'll come on to that in a minute. The first thing to bear in mind for all rugby fans out there, this it is a fact that you should all know that there was a period of history for four years where Hal Luscombe had won more Grand Slams than Brian O'Driscoll, which is wonderful winger Hal Luscombe from the Dragons. Through the looking glass, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? So yeah, Ireland hadn't won since 1948, which coincidentally was also the year that Peter Stringer was born. Yeah. Uh, also, you're a partition in India. No, there's only do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, that went well as well, didn't it? But um, <laughs> sorry. Um, nothing to talk about there. So, this was the year of the first Friday night game, which again was France versus Wales, which France. I won. think they're great. See, I, I, I love the Friday night game. I've never much, really had a problem with them. I think it's because I'm not the kind of person who travels to them anyway. The biggest problem is for people want to travel to them. You got to take a day off work. At least you know you could go Friday night or Saturday morning and get there if it was a Saturday, but. I'd much prefer those to the Sunday games they bloody did. Well, the Sunday games generally, yeah, there's something just a bit shitty about them, isn't there? Awful. Um, this was the first year of the Friday night games. It was also the year that Brian Moore lost his shit completely with Toby Flood. I love Brian Moore. Let's have a listen Toby. to this, shall we? Play it, play it, play it. So England in possession. They haven't had much of the ball And they kicked it away again. Toby Flood. God's towards... sake! Lucy. <laughs> Porto Lucy towards... <laughs> and Butler just starts laughing. <laughs> the impulsion. 
There's, I think and, they turned. I think they turned Brian Moore's mic off. I think what I'd heard was they because he <laughs> he he does the old gods for God's sake bit, but yeah. then after that he was railing. So I couldn't find a clip because there is one where he calls somebody a half wit on air as well, which which he didn't <laughs> like. But it's, here's the brilliant one. He's, co- he's co-commentating with Jiffy on this. And I listen to Jiffy. He's obviously trying to bring a measure of professionalism to it. And that's not sensible. Dull rugby. You, you might expect more from players, wouldn't you? Calm down. Calm down now, right? You looked at me like a madman, you know. Just, just calm down. I love John. Yes, we agree with you. <laughs> you shouldn't be, like, offloading when there's nothing on, really. <laughs> Just play the percentages. Is, is, there, is there anything that John Davis doesn't do well? Would <laughs> you imagine how, how well Brian Moore reacted to that? Just calm down, will you? Because yeah. yeah. everyone always does well when people get yeah. tell them to calm down, don't they? Oh yeah, that works. And then the last Brian Moore, I think this is from the, that wasn't from the same year, but this is from the same year, I think, where he go, he goes off on one at Bolshaw, who for some reason has his foot on the top of a rook. A little bit of trickery from Tanduk. Why is he even doing there? You're a fullback! Get behind the back line! Get behind, what's he doing? Get behind the back line! Brilliant. Go on. Never change, Brian. I love him. Well, the thing is, he brings something. What do you want? People are just... I mean, Sam Warburton transitioned oh. into, into punditry now, right? And he does an all right job, but it is... He's good and his analysis is good, but it's it's not outstandingly interesting for me. You want a colour commentator who gives a bit of colour, surely the exactly. name is in the is in the, the title, you know. You know. Brian Moore, what a what a star. What a star. Yes. I went I went with a girl once. I go, I, my wife's out of the room, but I think she might come back in. Is she there? I don't know. It's <laughs> a long time ago. But um she said, do you, what do you do? She said, uh, I play a bit of rugby and you know. She said, Oh yeah, my um I've only been out with one one other rugby player before you. I said, Who was that? She said, Jordan Davis? I said, yeah, he's a bit better than me. <laughs> <laughs> His turn of pace is slightly better than mine. Yeah, yeah, I want that good. <laughs> Deary me. This was also the year 2009, lest we forget that famously Mauro Bergamasco played scrum half. Another bloke, I, I love Bob. I love Bergamasco. Fantastic, number seven. What, yeah. has, there, has there ever been a player more positionally not... abused than Marab? Because he actually had to, he had a full season where he played international rugby as a winger, which says a lot for his talent, to be honest. Yeah. But what a waste. They had a scrum off on the bench, didn't they? They had a similar scrum off on the squad, another one. Tonya Latta, yeah, but he was very young yes. and inexperienced. And the thing yeah. is, they'd lost... But, but um, he's a scrum off, is the key, isn't it? <laughs> well, this is the thing, because they'd lost um, the... They'd lost Canavosio, Picconi and Travagli, who were like the first three... Scrum halves then, and did, he didn't. And Nick Malice, who was a coach, and obviously didn't fancy dropping Tonya Larty into a game against England. No. So you can understand the thought. Well, let's give Mauro a go, right? And I can up to that point, I have some modicum of sympathy. But then, how did he not spend the entire? How did he not spend just the first twenty minutes in training going? Yeah, this isn't going to fucking work. Yeah, exactly. How the hell did it get to game day? And on game day, he ended up looking like a sexually frustrated chimp lobbing turds at passing. He should have just taken. He should have just done a. Done a you know a Doug Bishop back in the, the glory days of Pontypool, and just taking everything up himself. <laughs> yeah, just basically yeah. all game. Just keep doing that. Yeah, just go over the top of the rook. Like that was yeah. that was when I used to play against Barry Seconds. That was always their tactic. They ran over the top of the rook with every single ball. That was all. You... <laughs> Mate, I got a phone call last week to play for Barry Seconds. You are right? joking. 
on that sloping know. pitch where you can't get to rocks if you're going the wrong way because it's too knackered. I got a Facebook photograph of me playing rugby about five, six years ago in a veterans game. And they phoned me up on the Friday and said, what are you doing tomorrow, Babs? I said, what do you mean? Do you want to play for the seconds? I said, right, I'm 46. I'm 18 stone 12. Right? They said, play front row. I said, I'm not, I've never played front row and I'm not going to start. And now. I like my neck. Thank you. Can I play for the seconds? No, I can't play for the seconds. For the twos, fuck me. Imagine the twos, it'll be full of like gymmed up 22-year-olds, won't it? With very little ability, but a lot but of aggression. Do you know what I said, though? I said, mate, give me to the end of the Six Nations. <laughs> I'll do a job for the end of the I'll season. give up the tiger bread and I'll be fucking yeah, there for you. Tell Cal not to buy any more cheese. I'm playing, I'm playing. I don't like tiger bread, overrated. But uh, the, um, yeah, so yeah, the Maraburger Masco nightmare... When, well, if, look at it on YouTube. Everyone's seen it, but look at it again because it really defies belief how ridiculous it is. Um, so you had more going off of one, Maro Burger Masco in 2009, um, and Ireland slowly beating everybody, and the decider was in Cardiff again. Yeah. Versus Wales. What's and interesting? You know, come on. So we have sort of an affinity with the Irish, I think, and especially you know, with, with Wales. And I remember thinking at the time, I, I was obviously wanting Wales to win. And it sounds it sounds hack, but there's no one I'd rather win it if Wales didn't win it than Ireland. I think. See, I think a lot of people think about this Celtic Brotherhood thing, but I remember at the time there was the teams didn't like each other very much. No, there was a, the I think it was a Gatland thing. There was a lot of fucking needle between the two teams, yeah. Yeah. which kind of boiled over in the first forty seconds with Ryan Jones followed through on O'Gara, and then they all yeah. piled in, which yeah. was uh, lovely. Which was, which was fantastic. I was watching some rugby league fights before. What I really love about rugby league fights is, is that they always play the ball before they start fighting. So oh, they, yeah. they haven't lost their head. They stand up, they no. play the ball, then it goes then off. It's, it's like, you know, yeah, we're not, we've got to keep the game going. But yeah, it's going to... Yeah, so... We had a fight once, so I, quickly, we, I was playing like uh, local club rugby in the West Country for, my, for a team down there. I was, I was teaching down there. And we played a team called Blagden. It's like on the side of a mountain in Somerset, right? On a really badly sloping pitch that makes Barry's look flat, right? And there was just a, there was a, there was a, well, I was going to say a 30-man brawl. There was a 28-man brawl because I was playing in the centre. I think it was my first game for this team. And these were our big local West Country rivals. Been playing each other for years. And it just kicked off. And people were punching on the side of everybody. And I was in the centre. And I jogged into halfway to their centre. And uh, I said, do you want to fight? He said, no, not really. So we, we, just, we just stood halfway watching everyone else fighting. <laughs> the, um, I just remembered when I played at Barry, it was, it was the week after 9-11. Yeah. And I'll never forget, that there's a thing that come down for the WRU that we had to do a minute silence, right? And that everyone had to face West, as in facing America. Yeah, what a lot of bollocks. But what was funny is, is that basically the, the ref come over to like our captain, the coach, for he goes, "Any of you boys got a fucking compass on you?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no. And in the end, he's going, "Does anyone know?" Which? He said, well, "Well, Bristol's over there, right?" So and this went on for about five fucking minutes. And in the end, it was just like, "Please, just somebody." Did, and in the end, they just made us line up. But God Almighty, that it. Well, I suppose it wasn't funny, but it's funny when you think about it now. Um, yeah. So. It was in Wales, kind of, it kicked off after 40 seconds. Um, Wales was 6-0 up at half-time, and I think you could feel, from Ireland's point of view, you could feel the weight of everything finally coming to bear on them because they looked kind of terrified. 
Yeah, really. made a lot of mistakes towards this, you know. I think Wales were going for the tri- triple did, crown as well. Don't forget, you know. So did we have a kick to win it that we missed, like right at the end? Yes. Yeah, basically, six up at half time. Stephen Jones towards the end of the game then kicked a drop goal, which made it fifteen fourteen. That's right. Uh, with two and a half minutes left, uh, and then Ronan O'Gara slotted a drop goal as he's wont to do in Cardiff, and yeah. and banged it over. And then there was a kick. Well, there was a kick, virtually the last kick of the game for Stephen Jones, but it was like literally from like two meters inside the Irish half. Yeah, it was bang on line, but dropped about two meters short. It was it was always a bit of an ask, I think. Yeah. People will say, "Oh, they missed the last kick of the game." Technically, yes, but I don't think it was ever on. It was a, it was a shit and bust type thing. Yeah, it was a big old it was a big old whack, wasn't it? And he was never known for his ridiculous range. Well, he's was he? No, he's no he's no Gavin Henson, was he? No, he's no Elliot Daly. But um. So, yeah, so Ireland finally put uh, Brian, when they needed a try, actually, Brian O'Driscoll did that Brian O'Driscoll thing where he just came piling in, he piled into a moor, grabbed the ball, and just put his head through about 15 pairs of legs to score. What a player, Brian O'Driscoll. And that was the thing about him, it wasn't, he could do everything. Yeah. He could do absolutely everything. I mean, 13 is the most difficult defensive position you can play, and he was absolutely consummate there. He was tough as well. And he was not tough, just tough, and nasty and with him. Fast, it, you know? and he had a yeah. step. And even when his pace went a bit, he was still like, Irreplaceable, yeah. really. The kind of circle wanks to do over him gets on me, got on my nerves towards the end because you just get sick of hearing it. And yeah. but actually, you know, it, that's not fair. He was a bloody brilliant player. He was, okay. and it was a significant monkey off their back. Let's just remind ourselves what this Ireland team was. It was Rob Carney, Tommy Bow, Brian O'Driscoll. <laughs> that's a hell of a back three, that is. Yeah, uh, Brian O'Driscoll, Darcy, but- Luke Fitzgerald, who's now fat and an arsehole on a podcast. Um, is he? Oh, he does. He's he's a bit of a controversialist, I think. Is he? Yeah, which is which just says he's a wanker, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Rolling well, up. Did you just do an out on about a Down syndrome girl, Bonnie? <laughs> yeah, that's, he should come and get padded up. I'll sort him out. Uh, Rolling O'Gara outside half. Tomas O'Leary. Weirdly, I forgot he played scrum half in this one. I'm just um, looking at now. Yeah. Uh, I said back three, mate. Sorry, I just I was reading the first few names on the sheet. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, Driscoll wanted a back three, but no. I mean, still a King, decent backline. Oh, great player. O'Gara, fantastic player. O'Leary, uh, Marcus Horan in the front row, who's played at Munster. Jerry Flannery, big bull John A's, the man who cried in every anthem. This, this is a good pack, mate. Go, keep going. I can read it now. Go on. Donnacro Callahan, Paul O'Connell. Flipping it. That's a, that's a good boy in the house, that is. Stephen Ferris, and before, again, retired far too early. Yeah. Before he became a completely one eyed commentator, which is what he is now. David Wallace, he was, you know what, I was saying before about I wanted Marty Williams to start in 2009 ahead of David Wallace. Yeah. But David Wallace was some player. Yeah. Nuggety and hard. And Jamie Heasley, who probably had arguably his best year. This yeah. is when he, he was he was really some player. I'm looking at the bench as well. So Jordan Murphy. Yeah. Addy Wallace. Peter Stringer. Oh, so, I fucking hate Peter Stringer, but he was good. I mean, he was... What a wind-up merchant. He was world-class wind-up merchant. That's what made it so funny when they, when Neil Back slapped that ball out of his hand in that European Cup final. Oh. The ref didn't see it. And he was oh, lit. And Stringer was jumping <laughs> up and down like Yosemite <laughs> Sam in a rage. Oh, it's hysterical. As a former back row player, you must have respected that bit of that's shit out of him. so funny. Yuri yeah. Dennis Lurney, Tom Court, Mick O'Driscoll. But yeah, yeah. So, so they finally got the Grand Slam. And I suppose this was... They'd had a kind of... Since about 07, Alan, we're trying to do this version 2.0 transitional period thing, and that this finally came to it. And it's kind of since then they've pushed on to where it showed you how long it can take. 
because they won the Grand Slam then, and then they ended up beating the All Blacks nearly in 2013, and they did beat the All Blacks in 2015. And 2018. Yeah. Yeah, 2018 is what I meant. Yeah. Um, well, they beat Chicago, they beat them. Chicago, in, and then beat them, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was Ireland's finally shaking the 61 years well, there's a off. team, right? They always, I've banged on about this before, and I'm sorry to go back to Wales again, but they always, they use Wales' success since regional rugby to sort of justify the regional game. But I just think we've bought the regional game up, to be honest. I think, it was, I think it's a big mistake in Wales. But, but The trouble is, there's no other, within six months of going professional, Wales was bankrupt. Clubs yeah, were bankrupt. Yeah, twelve clubs couldn't. It's difficult because twelve clubs could not survive. No. So it's hard to know what you do then. It's something bold had to happen. You well, don't I'll get them be... in to scrap the A team and, and do it. But I mean, when I look at Ireland, when they won that for the first time in sixty odd years, the changes in Irish rugby after that. You look at the the way that it's organised now in Ireland. Mm. You speak about schoolboy rugby and, and regional rugby and through the through the through the regions and. Up to the national side, it's so well done. Like, it, and then there's not there's not a penny wasted. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a really, really slick machine now over there. Cause it, you know, because it's not. It's probably still not one of the. Would it be one of the top three sports? That probably not. Still, right? You got the you got the Gaelic sports. You got you got hurling and, and you got your you got your yeah. Gaelic football. I don't know how probably, big soccer is over there. I know it's big. Yeah, I'm not but... sure. It was bigger than the old Charlton era, wasn't it? But I'm not sure how big it is. But but it's not it's not the main player. And what they do with a fairly small player base is fantastic. It really is. It is, and I think there is your point before about the classic Welsh committee problem. I think yeah. Wales is just rife with, has been rife with too much parochialism, which meant that everything... Well, some were saying when there was... The, all I mean, effectively, they, 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 they blew an Anglo-Welsh league in 1998. Oh, yeah. You know, they fucked that up because they couldn't get, you know, I don't know, Gwyndaf Jones from... Bertha to agree the fucking terms was, or something. There was something in the news a, a year or two ago. The Welsh Rugby Union wanted to change something, so they, they go, they had to go com, consult the clubs like they have to, right? So there was some committee meeting in West Wales somewhere, and I think I'm right in saying, and I, I may be out by a couple, but I think it was like 212 committee members, right? I thought, fucking hell, you got, you're, you're having a decision-making meeting with over 200 people, none of yeah. whom, by the way, I've got a background in finance or in, or in organising sports leagues or in, you know, anything relevant. You know, the fact that you've been in the club for 50 years making the fucking sandwiches doesn't make you... you know what I mean? if it's, fact, it's why the Premier League fun. fucked off from the FA because that's what you've got. You've just got these people who've come up through a club in Essex who are now head of the yeah. Essex FA who get to decide what happens. Fully enough, millionaire owners of clubs go, I'm not fucking having that. I'm off, yeah. I'm off somewhere else. But yeah, that's okay. another podcast in itself. Yeah, it is. If you're interested to know about the 1998 stuff and the lost opportunities if you patreon subscribers and if you want to be one there is an episode specifically about the 1998 rebel season when cardiff and swansea went off and played friendlies against yeah. english clubs for a year because they didn't want yeah. to sign the loyalty agreement the wru wanted to sign so yeah so let's move on to our final one which is number seven which is italy's wins across various years because i suppose it is the six nations now because italy joined in 2000 mm. Um, they've won 12 games in what's nearly 19 years now. Never beaten England, have they? Never no. beaten England. Seven of the wins have come against Scotland. Two of those were at Murrayfield. It remains the only away ground that Italy have won at. They've beaten Wales twice, France twice, and Ireland one. They've never beaten England. It's one of the things we can say we're proud of. Yeah. 
so I'm not going to go through all 12, but I think some notable wins were 23-20 over Wales in 2007, when Maro, yes. Maro Bergamasco, not playing scrum half this time, <laughs> scored in the 77th minute. He was actually playing number seven and looked good. There's... Um, God. The game is remembered. I think we talked about this. Is remembered this mostly. This illusion to frigging Canada. This was because <laughs> the because re- Wales got they were obviously only three points in it. Wales got a penalty very late on. Says well, the story goes. Stephen Jones says to Chris White, the ref, "Have I got time to kick this out and take a line out?" Chris that. White goes, "Yeah." Blew up the press. So then Stephen yeah. Jones kicked it out, and he said, and then he fucking ended the game. Maybe we went in. Everyone was incandescent. Yeah, I remember. You can see him saying it to him, and he sort of, and, and he, so he, he, you know, they go for the line out, and I just thought, oh my god, it, it did, it went off. And both teams went, went ape shit for very different reasons. Italy with joy, and Wales with barely concealed rage at Chris the, White. The referee kind of think, thought you meant anything else. There, there's no, you know what I mean? It's Where's weird, he... isn't it? Because all I can think of is, is that as soon as he said, "Yeah, you have," and then he looked at his watch, he went, "Oh shit, no, you haven't." And now I don't know what to do. I just have to blow up. She said, "Well, hang on a minute, no, you haven't." Yeah, it's weird though, it isn't it odd? I can't, you, well, you'll never know, I suppose. They never talk about these things, but it was really interesting. But yeah, so that was a win in Rome for Wales in 07. You say about that game when, when Wales won the first grandstand for a long time in 2005. Right at the end of the game, Stephen Jones is in the dead ball area, in the try area, and he sort of turns around and rifles the ball into the stands. Yeah. And then there's a split second where he looks at the referee, and the referee hasn't blown up, and he thinks, shit, I've just given him a scrum five. And then <laughs> <Yeah>. the, ref- <laughs> the referee blows up, and just the relief is, is amazing on his way. Um, yeah, so there's that one. They're the same year. They won two games in 07. They won. They got the the win against Scotland, 37-17 in 2007. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Italy were 21 nil up after six minutes. Mostly because Scotland are an aneurysm inducing shambles, basically, at this point. Um, I mean, you know, we've, we've we've read out teams and you've gone, oh, well, let's go back like that. That's good, that, really? isn't it? No, I don't, let, yeah. let, me, let Let's just... I'm sorry, Scottish listeners, because you'll know this all too well. Well, let's just remind everybody of what the Scottish backline in particular was for this game. The fullback was Hugo Southwell, Sean Lamont, the world's slowest mm. winger on the wing, Marcus DiRolo, mm. Rob Dewey, Chris Patterson, bless him. God, he tried his yeah. hardest, did Chris Patterson. Bleak, dark Phil Godman days at number 10. Look at this. Chris Cutterster at nine. He was fine, actually. He was all right. He did a job, didn't he? Yeah. And then back row was Callum, Kelly Brown's quite young then, Simon Taylor, Scott Murray, Nathan Hines. Actually, the front five's all right. Scott Murray, Nathan Hines, Ewan Murray, Hall and Kerr, okay. Back row's not up to much, but that fucking back line, man, it's absolutely oh, staggeringly do. bad. <laughs> not good, is it? No. But who was around then? Who was around that season they could have picked? I'm trying to think. I mean, you know it, what? Back then you're looking at... a vintage year for Scottish players, was it? No, you're looking at like, this is probably the Nick DeLuca period. Graham Morrison, who was a big lump. They haven't left any great players on the bench or out of the squad, have they? I don't believe so. anybody. I don't believe so. I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember now. Scottish listeners will no doubt shout at me now and say there were 18 people injured and 17 Lions who could have played, but that's not my memory of it. I mean, they they were dying for a foot and mouth outbreak there, weren't they? They should have. Yeah, in the middle of the game. If I'd have been, if I'd have been the Scot- I mean, John Jeffries was a farmer. Surely he could have been in touch with people and got. He could have stuff. fired some burning cows over the, like, <laughs> like Monty Python style. Bacteria somewhere, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah. um, and then finally, the second win over France, which was twenty three eighteen, and the win over Ireland nine six in twenty thirteen. What? To think that, isn't it? Yeah, and he beat France again, didn't they? Quite recently. Well, even the Ireland win. I mean, to beat Ireland. Yeah, funny old team. 
So, well, rugby. They beat Ireland and Ireland, obviously not the same year, but I mean, not long after that, Ireland beat the All Blacks. Well, 2013, 2013 was when they nearly beat the All Blacks in the autumn, yeah. Ireland, in, in that incredible game. Yeah. And they'd been, they'd had a pretty shitty Six Nations. They'd had a really, really stuttering summer tour to, I think, US and Canada, Ireland. There was nothing that suggested that performance in the autumn was coming at yeah. all. And it's almost like since then, everything changed, really. The belief changed, everything changed. Well, Joe Schmidt was part of it, I'm guessing. What's interesting about this second game is that what Italy have struggled with throughout their entire time is since Diego Dominguez finished, they've had no 10. No. And it's always seen as it's always been seen with Italy as being incredibly ironic given the number of tens in soccer they can produce. These wonderful playmaking, creative players in football. They've almost got a production line of those that you can yeah. you can call upon. And yet trying to find a home produced ten in rugby has has escaped them. And actually for this period, this year into the year after they had little Luciano Carra, who looked like he might finally be the solution, and he was good in both of these games. It wasn't to be, basically. Well, I mean, I feel, I like everybody else. I mean, they've always got to sort of justify being in there, and I, I think they should be in there just because the away trips are good. But um, <laughs> and the TV market. If you look at the like the, the, the catchment area for rugby in, and I've taken a couple of school teams on tour over there, right? You think that France is compared to Italy? There's a lot of rugby in France. I mean, Italy is just seems to me to be the northeast, like around the mountains and mm. around sort of. And that's it. I mean, there's, there's, you go outside of that area, there's no one playing rugby. You know, I've been, I've been to see Treviso play over there, and you know, I, I, it just seems to be that there's no there's critical no mass. No, there's nothing, and and it's never gonna. I can't see because football is so big over there. You know, football's big everywhere, but I mean, Italy is like a religion, and and. I don't know where rugby's going to get a foot in the, foot in the door over there. The, really trouble, don't know. the trouble with the debate with Italy is, or not the trouble, because there is no debate, because actually they are signif- They are not as good as the rest of the Six Nations, but they are. If you played 10 games against Georgia, they would win nine of them. Yeah. You know, they are significantly better than Georgia, who were knocking yeah. on the door. Yeah. Um, there was an argument in 99 that Romania, Romania yeah. may have come in. But the reason why Romanian rugby did so well is because Ceausescu loved it. I know, yeah. And it's gone downhill since then. Bloody you also love political killings and things like that. So, you know, yeah, you have yeah, to take the rough with the smooth, don't you? Switch around the isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so it became them. And the, the trouble is there's no way out of it because they'd have to be voted out to leave, which nobody's going to do because, as you say, it's TV money. It's And the way trips are good. People who go always enjoy it. And I've especially now it's in Rome. It's the only one I haven't done, is that? Well, it wasn't in Rome for years, was it? And now, and now, now they're playing every game in Rome. It helps. I think didn't they play a game? In, and they started playing some games in Milan as well at Milan Stadium. I don't know. Well, maybe I've seen that somewhere. And they also, the fact is that yeah, it's hard to get excited about an, an Italy game, but they do. You know, they won everyone. They came in in two thousand. They beat Scotland in two thousand. Everyone, and everyone's like, oh, this justifies them being in and all yeah. that kind of. I remember they, they played the first game against England in two thousand and gave away, I think, about something like about two hundred and seventy-seven penalties. In, the, in that game, it was just ridiculous the number of penalties they gave away. But um, Parisi, though. Parisi, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the inventor and archetype of fuck it, I'll do it myself, both for good reasons <laughs> yeah, and yeah. bad reasons. There's something to be said, really, about... He's, he, he's in his last year now, he's confirmed, after he's Conor O'Shea convinced him to stick around a bit longer. He's in his last year, and he is an amazing player, and he will be missed, but there is something about they need to find a way to not have him. There's just no, 
there's no one coming through though. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and uh, but it's you know when you've got because what he tends to do is he's like um, he reminds you when Andy Flintoff captain England. You can't have a bowler captain in England because they keep bowling themselves. Mm. Even when they they're knackered and they're no good anymore, they just got because yeah. they believe they can do it, and that's what Parise is like with his Italy team. I think in the last five minutes, ten minutes, when it's down to the wire, he's like, "Well, I'll kick it, I'll kick for touch, I'll try a drop goal, I'll try and do that." And literally, that's what he does. I love him. You know, yeah. But in the end, you are like, "You fucking idiot!" You know, what I mean? it's just yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was our little gallop through seven things. I enjoyed um, that, mate. Thank you. About the Six Nations, somebody's mentioned. Uh, Somebody, I nearly threw in Wales versus Scotland in 2010, the greatest um, international crumbling by Scotland you've ever seen, and Shea Williams's ridiculous try at the oh. end when the ball was alive for what felt like about three days before he finally managed to touch it. Say down. his name with reverent pride. <laughs> but I didn't want to... Well, I've just done it now, but I didn't want to rub Scotland... After the Italy thing, I didn't want to rub Scotland in it too much. I'd, have to, I'd rather talk about the win in 1999. Thank you very much, well, everybody, for listening. I'm off there soon. I'm going to Scotland for the, for the away game this year, so I'm looking forward to that. In a few I'm weeks. going to the Edinburgh Munster game. Oh, nice. Uh, on the 30th, the quarterfinal should be a good game. I've actually, thank you. I'd like to thank, I go on record thanking uh, Edinburgh Rugby on Twitter, who've helped me out with a ticket and have said I can go to the game with them. And this wonderful rugby family and all that oh, is, a, is a nice thing. Well, I'd like to thank the Welsh Rugby Union for not getting me a ticket for the, uh, the uh, Welsh Rugby Union game. Wales against Scotland. No, if you get a chance though, I'm, I'm not sure if that that tourist trap thing's gonna, it'll be on the iPlayer. I'm assuming at some point. It's going to be it's a BBC Wales thing, but that's worth a watch. It'll be on some Scrum Five special. Because Tom Shankly came. I tell you what. I'll tell you what. You, like I haven't been doing acting long. Right? Now this will piss a lot of people off, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. Is my like I said, my sister in law's a playwright, and he speaks to a lot of actors, and they, they always whinge about the fact that you know at any one time, ninety percent hardest profession in the world, apparently. Because at any one time, ninety percent of actors are, are out of work. That's because not as hard as being a minor, though, is it? No, and ninety percent of actors are shit at acting. <laughs> in, in my experience, right? So it's not hard to act. This is the thing, right? So, and, and a case in point, Tom Shanklin came out to do uh, that special I talked about. He came out and we did a couple of scenes with him. He was brilliant. You know, he'd never done it before. I'm not an actor. He's not an actor. I think if you've got someone about yourself like he has, like you have, you can. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was lovely because I mean, the, the especially if you're not doing, you know, you're not you're not exactly doing Schindler's List either. Do you know what I mean? I don't, you, you don't have to get into like a method, and it's it's not a massive emotional range, is it? But yeah. so if you're personable and you can do it, I could see why I could see why it works. It sounds like I'm angry, kind of giving you a backhanded compliment here. I'm not. I play, I play an angry dick and relax rugby. Um, <laughs> so I met. I think when I met Shanklin doing this scene, I sort of gripped him with a big hug the first time. Big hug, squeezing each other, calling each other nicknames. And then the director said, we can do it again, maybe a little bit quicker this time. So I just sort of grabbed him by the, by the head and, and gave him a big kiss and walked past. And he sort of smacked my ass on the way through. And then the director said, how long have you known Tom for? He said, I don't know Tom. <laughs> it just, just that sort of lovely rugby thing where you don't, you know. Everyone gets it. It's not it's a problem. All, yeah. It's all, it's all good. Cheers for your time, Mike. That was a, an Cheers, enjoyable mate. gallop through all of that. Thanks, everybody, for yeah. listening. And we'll be back next week when Josh will be sleep-deprived off a plane from California. So speak to you all soon. Ta-da. 
When we talk about quitting smoking... When my first child was born, for them... Obviously money. We talk about why so much. Health for myself. My family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. You've already talked about why you want to quit. So let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1-800-201-203 and make the next stop your last stop. From the HSE. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.